When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Konnichiwa, Nikki Young here, back with my new true crime podcast, Serial Napper. Thanks so much for tuning in. I just poured myself a big glass of wine and I honestly feel like I'm gonna need it after this case. Hope you're keeping safe and healthy during these crazy times. I'm going slightly insane, um, but thank you guys for um, keeping me keeping me on my toes. So I posed a question on my Facebook page a few days ago And I received some really insightful responses that made a girl think. I asked if you would cover a case that you have a personal connection to or if it would be more of a hands-off type situation, completely off limits. Now, most of you said you would cover it. So I'm digging in and I will have that story up later, probably next week. It's going to take me a bit of time because there isn't a whole lot of coverage on this particular story. It is Canadian and I do have a personal connection with it. Um, And the only reason I know about it is because someone I used to be best friends with was personally involved with the victim in the story. And it is a really crazy story. One that's going to leave you asking if karma is real. I personally think it is, and um, this story kind of proves it. But anyway, I don't want to spoil it. I do plan to have it up later next week, so stay tuned to that. Now, tonight's episode is Canadian, and again, I do sort of have a connection to it. The murder happened in the city that I was living in back in 2015, the city of Halifax, Nova Scotia. I don't talk about my personal life all too often, but some of you do know me in real life. My husband is with the Canadian Forces, serving as a member of the Canadian Military Police, and in 2015, he was working as a patrolman in Halifax. His jurisdiction was actually the location where the victim's body was found. This was a case that really rocked the city, not only because of who the victim was, uh, a police officer, but because of the behavior of the offender and the media storm that came after. It's going to make you incredibly angry. I mean, if you're a feminist at all, and I kind of think of like, I'm like an OG feminist, you know? Not one of these new age feminists, but I mean, girl power. It's going to make you angry, and it should. It really should. 
It's a fucked up case. A murder that should have never happened. And a media storm that makes my blood boil. Before we get started, if you like this episode and this podcast, I would love it if you could take just a few minutes to review me on whatever podcasting app or website you're listening to me on. Now let's jump in. On the night of September 11th, 2015, Catherine Campbell, a six-year veteran of Truro Police and a volunteer firefighter, was off-duty for the night and ready to head out for a bit of fun. She lived about an hour away from her detachment, living in Dartmouth, which is just across the harbor from Halifax, Nova Scotia. Catherine hopped in a cab driven by Terence Little and was taken over the bridge to Halifax to have a few drinks at the alehouse. Terence later told the court that he had picked up Campbell at her Dartmouth apartment building shortly after midnight on September 11, 2015. He said that Catherine seemed normal, she wasn't intoxicated, and, you know, everything seemed to be fine when he dropped her off at the Halifax Alehouse. Now, the Alehouse is an awesome bar. I've been to it a few times for a few pints, and they have tons of beer on tap. It's more of a relaxed atmosphere, definitely not a clubbing type of place, definitely like an, an older type of group that hangs out there. It's a spot you'd go to grab a few beers with close friends. So while there, she met up with a guy she had been acquainted with. She, she did know him from previous times. And over a few drinks, things began to get a bit hot and heavy. In a surveillance video from the bar, Catherine was seen dancing and being mm, passionate with the male, who would later be identified as Christopher Garnier. Now, in the video, they were seen kissing, and at some points, Catherine's legs were wrapped around him. Garnier used to work at the alehouse, so the bartenders there recognized him and, and knew who he was. Many of them said Garnier told them he had just broken up with his long-term girlfriend, and it's pretty safe to say he was out trying to forget what had happened. Now, earlier in the night... Garnier had a few drinks at his friend Mitchell DeVoe's apartment. Then, the pair headed downtown to a bar called Cheers. DeVoe ended up getting extremely intoxicated at Cheers, and he was put in the drunk tank. Now, if you don't know what the drunk tank is, I don't know if, if it's the same sort of thing in the U.S. or other countries, but the drunk tank is basically like when you've had way too much to drink, Police will put you in the back of their cruiser, bring you to the station, and let you kind of sleep off your, your buzz until the next morning when they release you. So after his buddy was put in the drunk tank, Garnier headed over to the alehouse to continue the party. Once he was there, he hit it off with Catherine, and eventually they decided to leave the bar together and head back to DeVoe's apartment. Although I haven't been able to determine, Garnier must have gotten his apartment keys before he was put in the drug tank. And since he couldn't take Catherine back to his own apartment, you know, because his girlfriend had just kicked him out, he took her back to his buddy's place. A taxi driver picked the two up from the alehouse and drove them to DeVoe's apartment on Macaulay Street. Although the cab driver was unable to hear the conversation between Catherine and Christopher while they were in his cab, he later said he felt there was some tension. This would be the last time that Catherine Campbell was seen alive. 
What happened that night is only known by two individuals, one being Garnier and one being Catherine, who is not alive to tell her side of the story. When Catherine didn't show up to work at the Truro Police Detachment, her co-workers became extremely worried. It wasn't like her to just not show up without calling. Constable Stuart McCulley was tasked with checking Campbell's Dartmouth apartment as part of a well-being check. They found a tidy apartment with the TV on and an alarm clock sounding, but the beautiful petite blonde officer was not there. The police officer was also able to obtain video footage from the apartment building Campbell lived in, and he saw Campbell leaving her house in the early hours of Friday, September 11th, but she was not seen returning. She, she never returned. Police then discovered she had taken a cab to the alehouse. After viewing the video footage from the bar, they identified Christopher Garnier as the last person to have been seen with her. So, he became their prime suspect in her disappearance. On the morning of September 15th, so that's now a few days that Catherine has been missing, Garnier was contacted by the Halifax Police Detachment by Constable Scott McLeod. While talking to Garnier about where he was that evening and what had happened, the conversation led police to the Macaulay Street apartment, where Garnier was staying with his friend DeVoe on the evening in question. While there, McLeod interviewed DeVoe, and what he learned was incredibly alarming. On the night in question, when DeVoe arrived back at his Macaulay Street apartment, he saw Garnier sleeping on a sectional sofa and not the pull-out couch he had made up for him. But even though it was weird, he just went to bed. Several text messages between DeVoe and Garnier were entered as evidence in the trial. In one message, DeVoe asked Garnier what happened to the mattress from his sofa, and Garnier told DeVoe that he had gotten sick and threw it away, but he would replace it. Photos of the apartment were taken of several spots believed to have blood. Some of the spots were located on the floor of the den, the back of the television, a Kleenex box, and on the handle of a cupboard that contained cleaning supplies. There also just so happened to be a laser clinic next door to the apartment, and they had security cameras in place. When police reviewed the footage from September 11th, they found something really unusual. The video showed a man coming from the back of the apartment building and walking towards the laser clinic. About a minute later, the individual returned with a green bin. Something falls out of the green bin as they're rolling it, and the person with the green bin bends over, picks it up, and throws it on top of a nearby building. A short time later, the individual is seen coming back into the view of the camera and returning to the apartment. Now, I'm actually going to go ahead and post the video footage on my Facebook page so that you can see for yourself. Several witnesses that night saw this individual dragging a green bin around and saying, you know, it looked like the green bin had some weight to it. And they thought it was really odd to be dragging around this green bin in the middle of the night. So after reviewing the footage, the police followed the direction that the individual was moving and they were able to sort of track his moves and his general direction. They found marks on the sidewalk leading towards the McDonald Bridge that appeared to be from a green bin. 
My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in true accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes? Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors Fresh, Never Frozen meals that are also dietitian approved. No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day because that's half the battle, and I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code napper50 at factormeals.com slash napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Then, with a little bit of searching, they located a green bin with its lid open near some shrubbery in the same area. This is right below the bridge. 
and it appeared someone basically pushed the green bin off of the side of the bridge. The area that the bin was found is actually a part of the Department of National Defense dockyard. Inside the bin, the police officers could see a tuft of hair, and upon closer look, they could see that it was a woman with a firefighter's tattoo on the back of her neck. She was also wearing a silver chain. Inside the bin, they found a garbage bag with a set of Mazda keys and a Good Life Fitness tag. You know, one of those gym key fobs that they give you to scan when you enter the gym. The woman was wearing a dress, but she had no bra and no underwear on when the body was removed by the medical examiner. Upon further investigation, the body was identified to be Catherine Campbell. It was time to make an arrest. Police parked across the street from Christopher Garnier's house and watched as he walked over to his car, moved around some items, and got in. Oh, by the way, he was back living with the girlfriend that had broken up with him the night he was out with Catherine. As police watched, it appeared that Garnier was on the move, so they decided to follow closely behind. It appeared that Garnier was actually heading towards the location where he had dumped Catherine near the McDonald Bridge. Police put on their lights and pulled him over, and inside his car, they found a green tarp, work gloves, a backpack, yellow rope, tape, and a brown blanket. They arrested him on the spot, brought him down to the station, and questioned him for nine hours on what happened. He claimed that after a night out, a night of fun and drinking, they went back to his place, started to become intimate, and engaged in rough sex, at which point he blacked out. Now I'm going to play you a clip from the interrogation. He's talking about having his hands around her neck and what happened afterwards. And she was bleeding. <laughs> I don't remember what happened. <laughs> where was she bleeding from? I think her nose. What do you mean by bleeding? Like she, she was bleeding from her nose. I think it was it was all over her face. That's how I know she wasn't alive when she went into bed because. The investigator asks how Campbell died and why her face was bloody. When asked if he struck Campbell 30 times, 15 times, or just once, Garnier said, I obviously couldn't have done it a significant number of times because there's no marks on me. Garnier later told police that he may have hit Campbell with his fists two or three times. When they asked Garnier during the interrogation if Campbell was alive when she was put in the green bin, Garnier replies no and that she wasn't moving, she wasn't breathing. 
this case got really messy, really dirty, and really disgusting in court. It became almost a smear campaign against Catherine Campbell, calling into question her preferences in the bedroom, which don't matter. She is a victim. The defense had suggested her death was accidental and the result of a consensual sexual encounter involving choking. Garnier maintained that it was simply a case of rough sex gone wrong, and most disgustingly of all, his girlfriend, Brittany Francis, the one who had broken up with him the night he met Catherine, stood by his side the entire time. Clearly, she believed everything that he was saying and even begged for leniency during his trial. At one point, she wrote to the judge, I consider myself incredibly lucky to call Christopher my significant other. He truly is the best kind of person inside and out. He has saved me from me and given me something to look forward to for the future. Our future. <sighs> All that la-di-da, lovey-lovey stuff aside, let's talk about the facts presented in this case. Campbell died of strangulation and suffered head injuries, including black eyes and a fractured nose. I mean, personally, that kind of intimacy isn't my thing, but I don't imagine rough sex usually means punching the eyes and the nose. But I mean, I could be wrong. The defense lawyer stuck with this defense throughout the entire case, calling in a man who had very briefly dated Catherine previously. Actually, he had sex with her on two different occasions, so to say that he dated her or even really knew her would be kind of an over-exaggeration in my opinion. He testified that during their encounters, he placed his hand on Campbell's neck, but he never applied pressure. He also said she never asked for pressure to be applied to her neck or to be choked or to be punched. Now, this part is important in my opinion. This man, a previous partner of Catherine, also said any aggressive behavior like wrestling in the bedroom happened following sexual intercourse when the pair were partially dressed. You have to imagine the kind of woman that Catherine was. She, she was a police officer. She was healthy, in shape, active. I can imagine her being playful and thinking it might be funny if she was able to pin this guy down. To make the connection that she enjoyed rough sex to the point of choking and punching because of the testimony of this guy is absurd, in my opinion. Still, Garnier told the jury that during sex play, Catherine encouraged him to choke and slap her before she died. But he also said his memories about the night are fragmented. He was too intoxicated. Garnier was actually a former paramedic, and so there was a point made at one point in court. As a trained first responder, he should know that if someone's neck is injured, Great care needs to be taken in the handling of that person. Garnier stated that during this night, his arm was across Campbell's neck, that he went to get a towel when he noticed blood after slapping her, and that he pulled her up by her shoulders and shook her after coming back into the room and seeing her motionless. And she died. She died accidentally. Accidentally, he had killed her, 
by applying too much pressure, even though she had a fractured nose and two black eyes. And it takes time and, you know, effort, real effort to choke someone to the point of death. Thankfully, the jury didn't buy his bullshit story. And they sentenced Christopher Garnier to a life sentence for secondary murder and interfering with a dead body. In Canada, this means Garnier would be able to apply for parole after serving 13 and a half years, less 699 days for time served. That means he won't be able to apply to the parole board until 2030, 10 years away, and the board may approve or refuse his application. After sentencing, Catherine's mother spoke to the media, and she said that instead of showing remorse for what happened, you know, if this was an accident, Garnier has attacked her daughter's name and reputation. She went on to say, Catherine was the victim, and every day that we walked into the courtroom, she was victimized over and over again. We were constantly reminded of the accused's right, but what have we seen of the victim's right? It is our family that has been given a life sentence with no chance of parole. This absolutely breaks my heart because instead of treating Catherine like a victim, they treated her almost like a sexual deviant. And, you know, this, this nice guy, Christopher Garnier, just kind of gave in to what she wanted and she accidentally, you know, ended up dead and he was just innocent and it was all an accident. Never mind the fact that he stuffed her body into a recycling bin and dumped her off the side of a bridge like trash. At the end of the hearing, Garnier stood and unfolded a piece of paper from his pocket. He apologized to Campbell's family and friends, saying he knows there's nothing he can do to ease their pain. He went on to say, I never intended for this to happen, but my actions contributed to Catherine's death, and I accept responsibility for that. I have a hard time understanding why I did what I did afterwards and still can't remember most of those actions. I'm disgusted by them. I'm sorry every day for the pain I've caused you to go through, and I hope that you can one day forgive me. Of course, this piece of wet lettuce has tried to appeal his conviction, in part because he says police interview tactics elicited a false confession, which, in my opinion, shows that he doesn't really feel guilty. He doesn't really think he did anything wrong. In 2018, there was a bit of controversy when it was discovered that Christopher Garnier was receiving private psychological therapy behind bars, paid for by Veteran Affairs. Now, Garnier has never served in the military. However, his father had at one point, and he was being treated for PTSD. Now, as part of his father's treatment, he said his son Christopher getting help as well would assist in his own treatment. So, Christopher Garnier was getting help, paid for by the Canadian government, for his PTSD for killing an off-duty police officer. While there are hundreds of veterans across Canada who have no resources to help them. Now, obviously, this is a case that kind of just slipped through the cracks, 
And after it came to light, Veterans Affairs Canada announced that it will not pay for benefits for incarcerated relatives of veterans. What wasn't immediately clear is whether this move has any direct impact on the benefits that Garnier is receiving. The department obviously wouldn't comment on this particular case, citing privacy. This case pisses me off for so many reasons, but let's talk about a few of them. Catherine Campbell was completely trashed in court. Her name, her image... Her family had to listen to people talk about her sex life, basically shaming her and victim-blaming her for her own death. All the while, Catherine was never able to speak for herself. The witness they brought in was someone she had been intimate with twice, twice. Now, I don't know why they would even allow his testimony. Garnier may say he never punched her, But Catherine had two black eyes, she had a fractured nose, and her blood was found all over that apartment. And then for his family and girlfriend to stand by his side, I've never understood it. If my son took part in such an act, I would still love him. And you know what? I would mourn for the son that I raised because obviously that's not it. But there is not a second that you would catch me defending his actions. The evidence speaks for itself. That's it for tonight's case. I would love to get your thoughts on this. I'd love to hear what you think. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, if you like this episode or if you like Serial Napper, I would super appreciate any reviews you could provide on whatever podcasting app you're listening to. I am so, 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 so thankful for your support. If you want to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash serialnapper. That's S-E-R-I-A-L-N-A-P-P-E-R. If you're on Apple, just search Serial Napper. If you're on Spotify, you don't need a premium to listen to podcasts. Hey, yo, search Serial Napper. I'm also now on Twitter. I have like two followers. So, I mean, if you could go follow me, I would um, love it. I've been tweeting my little heart out over there about true crime and anything spooky. You can find me over there at twitter.com slash serial, S-E-R-I-A-L underscore napper, N-A-P-P-E-R. Until next time, don't be a Dahmer. Bye. I'm Dean, I'm the dad. I'm Laura, I'm the mom. And I'm Crystalyn, I'm the daughter. And together we are... Family Plot! The Family Plot Podcast, a show where we discuss history, folklore, true crime, and the paranormal. Minus all the oogie bits. We are PG-13. I'm almost 15 now. Don't ruin the commercial. Catch us looking into special topics like the origins of fairy tales, Sherlock Holmes, and the trial of Dr. Hyde and Mr. Swope. Find out who Dad Man Crush is. Or what happens in Krista's corner. But behave you two. So come be a part of the fam. Available on Google, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Family Plot Podcast. Bye!